We are going to be in a new study today. Uh, we're going to be a new study in the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of Jesus Christ, whatever you want to call it. This is what we're going to be studying for the next 13 weeks. So I'm very excited to be starting a new book today. Uh, who here likes book studies? Yeah? I really enjoy book studies as well. Uh, I, I had this originally as an extremely long series, but I shortened it down, so hopefully that's beneficial for us as a church. And we're going to be in the book of Acts for the next few months exploring really what the, the beginning of the early church looked like. And for those of you who have this question mark in your mind, or you're wondering, or you're pondering, how did this whole movement of Christianity and the church begin? How did it get started? The answers are really found in the book of Acts. And, and this is really our historical account of what was taking place after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the church just explodes into the world. And the mission of God continues in a very profound way through them. And so this is really what we're going to be examining. And, and even when we think about this, just to, to put it in perspective, too, think of us here in Canada, small town Canada. Why do we even exist as Entwistle Community Church? And part of that answer is because of the many faithful men and women who were witnesses to the gospel throughout history over all the world. Amen. Isn't just that a mind-blowing thing to actually comprehend? When we look at the book of Acts, we're not only removed like 2,000 years, we're also literally on the other side of the world right now. And yet, the witness of the gospel still remains among us as the people of God. And so as we look back to the story of Acts, I think we have to keep in perspective of this is the beginning, this is the, the jump start, this is everything that has even brought us into the existence of the church today. It all began with Acts. It all began with the movement of the Holy Spirit and the apostles to continue the mission of Jesus Christ. Uh, such a mind-blowing uh, reality to really comprehend and really to fathom. And so that's what we get to enjoy doing this next little while is, is jumping back to the beginning of the story of the church. And so in light of that, I've called this the mission continued. And the reason I call it the mission continued is Acts is really a book that parallels with what book? Does anyone know? The Gospel of Luke, right? Who is the author of Acts? Luke, right? And so Luke wrote a gospel account called Luke, the gospel according to Luke. And then in parallel with that gospel of Luke, he wrote the book of Acts. And the book of Luke was all about the mission of Jesus, right? His teachings, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then the book of Acts is sort of the continuation of the story of Jesus, the continuation of what God has done in his mission and ministry throughout the world. And so that's really what we're examining this morning. And really you could frame this then in a sense of the mission of God continued, and this is another way for us to really understand the entirety 
of the story of God. And, and Christopher Wright, he writes a book called The Mission of God where he really um, frames the story of Scripture in light of the mission. And, and this is what Acts is all about. It's all about the mission of God. And so here he says, the Bible renders to us the story of God's mission through who? Through who? God's people. So what are we talking about? We're talking about God's people in the book of Acts, and who are we? God's people. The mission continues through us. And so through God's people, their engagement with God's world for the sake of the whole of God's creation. The Bible then is this drama of God's purpose engaged in the mission uh, or in the Bible and the dreams of God's purpose engaged in the mission of achieving that purpose universally. Embracing past, present, and future, Israel and all the nations, life of the universe, everything. And with its center, focus, climax, and completion in who? Jesus Christ, amen? Mission is not just one of the list of things that the Bible happens to talk about, only a bit more urgent than some. Mission in that much abused phrase is what it is all about. In other words, what Christopher Wright is saying is that the entirety of the story of Scripture and the entirety of the very purpose and existence of the church has been based on mission. It's based on a movement of God throughout history, throughout the globe to accomplish the purposes of God. And, and that comes at us because it begins to redefine how we view ourselves, doesn't it? It redefines how we even see our existence as a church. It illuminates the very purposes to which we exist as a church, which is first and foremost about the mission of God, what God is accomplishing past, present, and future. And so this is what we're really diving into as we examine the book of Acts, is, is realizing not just what God has done, but what God has continued to do. And, and my prayer for us then as a church, as we engage the book of Acts, is that we would not just look at it from a perspective of let's look at history, let's get some information, let's understand what the early church was about and what they were doing, but that it would actually transform us and that we would see ourselves very much in that same story that the apostles lived out of, and that we would see our same, ourselves as the same mission of what God has accomplished throughout history. So that's my prayer for us as we enter into it. And so let me just pray to that extent, and then we're going to jump into the text together. So bow with me in prayer. Gracious Father, we come before you. And Lord, we, we thank you for this faithful witness that Luke has given us. This witness that he has went around interviewing and researching and gathering information about the life of Jesus and the life of the church. And I pray that as we step into this history, that it would not simply just be stories and information and, and regarded as simply past, but we would see how intricately involved we are in the story of your mission and what you're accomplishing. And that we ourselves exist today simply because of the mission and the witness that has gone on before us through so many men and women who are faithful to your gospel. 
And so I pray that you would instill in us the power of the Spirit so that we can live out this mission that you have called us to as the church. And we pray this would be done to your glorious name. Amen. Amen. So let's start jumping into this text. What is, what is going on here? Acts 1. We're going to get to the first 11 verses today. Uh, but how does the book begin? Uh, we see Luke say, in the first book, what's the first book? Luke, right? Already connected that for us. Oh, Theophilus, this is sort of the main person that Luke is writing for, gathered all this information. He might have paid for this research to be done. He says, in the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began, key word I'll talk about in a minute, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So here's, here's our book. Now, first of all, again, who is the author? Luke, right? Good job. You guys are listening. What do we know about Luke? What was his occupation? He was a physician. He was a doctor. And really, he's this affluent person. He was very well educated. Uh, there are Greek scholars who study the language of how Luke was written and Acts was written. And they realized that Luke was incredibly literate. Uh, he, he has very good structure in his writing in Greek. And so we realize that he's formally trained. Uh, the perspective that he writes from is, is also interesting. When we go to the Gospel of Luke and he explains sort of his strategy in writing, what are some of the things that Luke is saying? How, what's his strategy? He, he's researching. He's like an investigative journalist. He's looking at eyewitnesses. He's doing all these interviews, right? And so this is Luke's strategy for gaining all this information, going to the eyewitnesses who have seen and heard what Jesus has done and what's been happening in the church. And this is how he's basically formulating this historical document about what has happened. Now, we, we read a little bit about Luke outside of the New Testament as well. In one of the introductions to the Gospel of, uh, of Luke, we, we have this uh, written by someone in the patristic period, in other words, some of the language of the church fathers, which was probably about a hundred years after Luke's life. And this is what it says. It says, indeed, Luke was an Antiochian Syrian, a doctor by profession, a disciple of the apostles, and later, however, he followed Paul until his martyrdom, serving the Lord blamelessly. And the text says that Luke died around the age of 84. Now, now what I find fascinating is, is we record Luke as dying by what? Martyrdom. Now, we're, we're going to get there in a little bit, but one of the major themes of the book of Acts is that the church is called to be witnesses. Chapter 1, verse 8, that's a very key word, that the church is called to be witnesses. And, and later that word for witness would be formulated into this concept 
of martyr. Now, what was a martyr? Yeah, someone who witnessed to the gospel even to the very death. And, and what I find absolutely beautiful when we, when we jump into church history, and I'll, I'll sort of resist temptations to jump into a lot of church history since that's what I teach at Vanguard, but I'll try and stay in Acts as much as I can. But what's beautiful to me is what Luke is writing about is how the church was such amazing martyrs and witnesses to the ends of the earth. In other words, they have went out and just functioned as beautiful witnesses of the gospel, even being willing to die for their faith. And later on, we, we read about 100 years later, what did Luke do? He was a martyr. Not only was Luke just writing about this stuff, Luke was actually living out this reality of be, being a martyr. And I find that absolutely beautiful because what we see in Luke is this reality that he didn't just see this as history. Luke very much saw himself as a part of this story. And again, my prayer for us is that as we walk through Acts, that we wouldn't just see this as, as history, but that we ourselves would be drawn into the story and function as the very witnesses that we're going to celebrate throughout the story of Acts. And so we see ourselves as Luke would in light of this. And so again, he, he brings up all these things that he's dealt with in the first book. Now, here's another very key thing. He says, I dealt with all that Jesus what? Jesus, what's that key word? Began to do and teach. Now, what's the implication? If something begins, what is the, something has to continue, right? And, and so the implication that, that Luke is drawing right off the bat is saying, this is the beginning of the story of Jesus. So when I get to Acts, does that story end? No, this is the continuation of that story. This is the outcome of that story. And here's where we get this sense of Acts is a continuation of the story of Jesus working in this world for his mission. And so a lot of Bible scholars sort of wrestle with this question, well, well, what do we call the book of Acts? Is, is this the, the Acts of the Apostles? Is this the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which is a major theme? Or is this the Acts of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that is what? Yes to all of them, right? It's yes and yes and yes. This is the, the mission of Jesus, the acts of Jesus performed by the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is this book that continues of what Jesus has accomplished. But if you use all three, it becomes a very long title. So we, we just summarize it. And so he, here's what happened next. He talks about the day when he was taken up, the ascension. We're going to get there at the end when we get to verse 9 to 11, so I'll talk about it there. But I think this is a very key part that Luke brings up. In verse 3, he says, He presented himself, Jesus presented himself alive to them. After his suffering, by what? By many proofs. I think that's key there. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering. How? By many proofs appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
this is such a, an important concept that Luke brings out. Because here is something I so often hear as a pastor with people wrestling with their faith, with people who are skeptical of faith. And it's this question and this posture that if Jesus really is God and if Jesus really is the creator of all things and if Jesus really is Savior and if Jesus really rise from the dead, I wish there would be evidence. I wish there would be proof. I wish there was something verifiable that I could not just have this faith that trusts in no evidence, but a faith that is actually based in reason and evidence. And what is Luke telling us here? That is exactly what Christianity is. That is exactly what Jesus framed it to be. That is exactly what Luke is doing in his accounts of all this. And so when we talk about faith and trust in God, it's not just blind and void of reason and logic and evidence. Luke says, no, our, our trust and validity, uh, validity of the faith is based in these proofs. It's based in these evidences. It's based in reality. It's based in history. And, and Luke is saying, all of what I'm teaching and writing and researching and is, is all based in this reality of what God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, going into all that evidence could be uh, 10 other sermons, 50 other sermons, 100 other sermons. We'll probably do another series on some of that stuff. But, but this is key just for those who are really wrestling with faith and really struggling and doubting of, of what evidences are actually out there, come talk to me. There's a few others that we could just have conversation after conversation after conversation about this, even just from Luke and Acts alone. And so here's something that, that Luke is trying to remind the church of all this evidence that has been given. And so Jesus is hanging around post-resurrection for how many days? 40 days, right? He's walking around in the very place that he was crucified, the very place that he was buried. And so this is one of the reasons why Christianity just explodes out of Jerusalem because Jesus is literally walking around after crucifixion, engaging with people, establishing the church. And so there's something powerful going on at this point of history. Now, I want to then shift here a little bit. Because Jesus' focus and Luke's focus now is going to go for this perspective of, of this is the transition between Luke and Acts. But what Luke is going to shift next to is, is Jesus' instructions about what happens next. And so Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, evidential approaches for 40 days, gathering the disciples, teaching them more about the kingdom, and then Jesus has something for them. And again, the main theme of the book of Acts is mission. Let's all say it together. Mission. We, we got to remember that. That's got to be instructed into our minds. Mission, witnesses. And so this is what Jesus sends them on next. He says, now it's time for the mission of the church to be advanced in the world. And we're going to walk through verses 4 to 11 just to get a sense of what's going on. And I want to frame it on this concept of the four instructions for mission that Jesus gives to the church. And so the first one we read about, 
uh, comes in verse 4 and 5. And, and this is where uh, Jesus calls the disciples to wait. He says, wait. And this is what the text says. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from where? Again, Jerusalem is this crucial center in the life of the early church, especially to the mission of the Jews. Paul is going to set up in Antioch for the missions of the Gentiles, but this becomes a central place in the life of the early church in the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus says, but wait for the promise, the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And this is what Jesus is telling to them. He's saying God is going to do something that you can't even fathom or comprehend. Something is going to happen that you're not even completely understanding or you can't even grasp. They're going to be gifted with the Holy Spirit. They're going to find this amazing gift of God. Now, anyone here ever have that in their life? When they look back and you, you look back and you say, God did something that I could never ask or imagine and it was absolutely glorious. Anyone experience that? Amen, right? And, and this is what's going on for the disciples right now. They have no idea what the future holds. But when they look back on this event, and when the entirety of the church looks back on this event, we're just blown with our minds because we see something beautiful happen here. Jesus says the promise of the Father is going to come into fruition. What's the promise of the Father? Any guesses? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, right? Uh, this is just one example from the Old Testament. There's many, but Ezekiel 36, the, the prophet's talk about the promise of God sending the Spirit. And this is what the passage says, and I will give you a new heart and a new what? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my Spirit within you. And what's the Spirit going to do? It's going to cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Now, this is pretty interesting because when we read the narrative of the Old Testament, uh, pretty much most of the Old Testament stories are about the failure of people, isn't it? <laughs> Where even though God sent them prophets to instruct, even though God sent them the law to guide them in wisdom, even though God himself gave them wise kings and leaders at times, even though he did all these things, the people still failed, didn't they? It was failure over and over again. People could just not change. They could not be transformed into what God created to be. And, and this is what the promise of Ezekiel is all about. It's about the fact that God doesn't change, so people need to change. And so this concept that if God is going to change, he's going to change us through his spirit. And when does this happen in history? When's the start of this? Acts 2. Pentecost, right? 
This is where the coming of the Spirit comes on the church. And so one of the things that, that Jesus is, is warning the disciples, he's saying, you, you guys need to wait because you don't understand. You don't understand the importance of what's about to happen. You don't even understand what the mission is all about. And so we, we see this because what's the question that the disciples ask? Jesus says, you our guys are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what I would ask in that context, but I would probably start asking a lot of questions about the Holy Spirit, right? As, what do you mean, Jesus? Like, how is the, how is the Holy Spirit going to come upon us? What do we see the disciples doing? Verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Did they get it yet? No, they are so off from understanding what the mission of God was all about. We have Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God throughout the gospel accounts. We have in the 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus teaching what the kingdom of God is all about. And the disciples still don't get it at all. They don't understand it. They're thinking in all these narrow terms. They're thinking in these narrow ethnic terms because who do they think the kingdom is all about? What nation? Israel. And Jesus says, no. We're going to talk about this later, but Jesus say, no, the kingdom of God is for all nations, for all people. It's not just this narrow ethnic idea. They thought that the Messiah, that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and be like this powerful warrior king and that he would reestablish the Jewish power and monarchy and lead his people into this golden era of peace where Rome would be defeated and crushed. They have all these misunderstandings of what Jesus was about and what he would do. And Jesus is saying, you need to wait on God. First of all, because you need the Spirit. And you need the Spirit. Why? Because they would just mess everything up, right? <laughs> Could you imagine that the history of the church right now, if the disciples didn't understand this, and if they didn't wait on the Spirit, what do you think would their first reaction be? What would they want to do? They would want to defeat Rome. So what would they would do? They would rise up this movement, this militant movement, and, and try to battle and fight against the Roman Empire. And would they have missed the entirety of the mission of God? 100%. And so Jesus is saying, no, you need to wait because you're thinking in such narrow terms and you're thinking of things that are completely counteractive against the mission of God. They don't understand the spiritual reality of the kingdom. They don't understand the multi-ethnic and international reality of the kingdom. They don't understand how the kingdom advances or even the timing of the kingdom. They are just getting everything wrong here. And so Jesus says, you need to wait. Why? Because you don't understand the mission you don't understand how the mission of God would advance. You need the Spirit of God to know and to live out of that. 
And so this is the, the next thing that Jesus instructs them and teaches them is saying that you guys need to wait on God because you need to understand the mission. And this is what Jesus' response is. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. What does he say? It's not for you to know. It don't, don't even think about this. It's, it's something that's beyond your capability of understanding. And I find this fascinating because even strange seasons like this past two years and strange seasons that so much of history has faced, there's, there's always this question of, of wondering, is this the time that Christ is going to return? Is this the time where the kingdom of God will come to fruition? And, and what's Jesus' response for us to today? Wait! It's not for you to know the times. It's not for you to be questioning and fathoming and debating. It's, it's, it's not for us to know. What are we supposed to focus on? It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my what? Witnesses. Key word there, right? Witnesses. Another way of, of what we talk about, a martyr, a witness. In Jerusalem, that's where they're starting out. Judea and Samaria, it's getting larger. And to where? To the ends of the earth. You see what, what Jesus is doing? They, they thought in narrow ethnic terms. They thought of the kingdom restored in Israel. And Jesus is saying, nope. The mission is to the ends of the earth. The entirety of of all people. And so clearly these guys don't understand what the kingdom of God is all about. And so Jesus, right off the bat, he's correcting them. He's saying, you don't need to know whether the kingdom comes now, next week, next year, 10,000, 100,000 years from now. You don't need to know that. He says, just do what I told you to do. Just go on mission. Just be my witnesses. And he's saying, don't just be thinking about political power. Don't be thinking about your own nation. Be thinking about the world and be thinking about spiritual power. And, and what Jesus would have said in his reaction to them would have actually shocked and dazed the disciples. It, it would have been absolutely mind-blowing to them because Jesus is basically saying the mission of God is not about destroying your enemies and getting to a place of power. Saying the mission of God is actually about loving your enemies, proclaiming the gospel, good news to your enemies, and even to the rest of the world. And so the kingdom of God is the complete opposite of what the disciples have been thinking. And I think we can easily fall into that same mentality today, can't we? Where, where we so easily lose sight of what the kingdom of God, the mission of God, is actually about. Why? Because we face that same temptation the disciples had right off the start. What do they want? They want power. They want political power. They want their nation to be the front and forefront. They want to be of most importance. 
And Jesus is saying, no, that's not what the kingdom about is at all. And so John Stott, he has, he has a phenomenal commentary on the book of Acts. And he says this, he says, the kingdom of God is his rule, set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by what? Witness. Witnesses to the gospel. Not by what? Soldiers. Again, if it was the mission of the disciples, it would have been wartime. It says, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war. And by the work of the Spirit... Not by force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. Amen, church? See, it was, it was fascinating with my time with the Iranians and the, the conversations I've even had continued with them. Is none of them have this concept that if we simply had a political revolt and we got rid of the Islamic regime over us, that somehow the church would be better off. Now, there's a hope for that because then much more missionaries could influence that country and go into that country, but they realize that's not how the kingdom of God advances, does it? No. And this is what we have to realize as a church as well, is if we want our nation to be changed, so to say, if we want the world to be changed, then, then it's not how we think it's going to happen. It's how God calls it to happen, which is the advancement of what? The kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We can't grasp it in our human minds. And so they don't get what the kingdom of God is all about. Now, Beyond this, the, the disciples not only not get what the kingdom of God is all about, they also don't even understand the scope of God's mission. They don't understand that it was for the world. Because Jesus gives them that instructions, and, and I, I'm trying to imagine how they would have heard this. Because when Jesus says, the mission of God goes to the ends of the earth... These are guys who had never probably traveled more than 30 or 40 miles from their home. What do you think they're thinking right now? Jesus, this is impossible. This, we can't do this? Like, this is ridiculous. How is this part of what you're talking about? They've got no clue. And yet, to me, this is so powerful. 2,000 years later, what do we see? The whole world. The exact implication of what Jesus called the disciples to has come into fruition. And, and so that leads me to this reality. Could that have been done in their own power? Could that have been done in their own wisdom? No. What needed to happen? They needed to receive the power of God. How do we experience the power of God, church? The Holy Spirit. 
When, when we don't experience the power of the Spirit, when we don't submit ourselves to the wisdom of the Spirit, when we don't sit under the conviction of the Spirit for our sins, we're going to do everything the disciples did. We're going to completely misunderstand the mission of God. We're going to be completely distorters of the mission of God. And, and our witness then will be incredibly flawed. The kingdom of God advances through witness, and if the witness is flawed, what happens? It doesn't advance. Now, God will make it advance no matter what, but through us, we might be quenchers of it. And so, the Christian life and our very existence of the church, our very concept of the mission of God has to be empowered by the Spirit. Uh, there's, there's a passage that Don Congo, our new board chair, says all the time. And, and it's one that's sort of become a theme in many ways of our leadership team and a lot of discussions. But Zechariah 4.6 talks about this. It says, Not by might, nor by power, but by what? My Spirit. See, so often in life, we think to make a difference, to make a change, what do we need? We need power and influence. What does God say? If you want to make a difference for the kingdom of God, it's not done by power. It's not done by influence. It's done by the Spirit. The Spirit, the life of God within us. And the Spirit then pushes the church and, and moves the church to this mission of being witnesses. Witnesses to the gospel. Bringing people to the place of meeting Jesus. Bringing people to the place of being transformed by Jesus. A witness is someone who becomes like Jesus, who, who knows Jesus and does what Jesus does. This is the calling of the church. This is what we're sent as as witnesses. Now, this is going to be a major theme as we continue Acts, so I'm not going to go too heavy on it. But let's, let's get to this fourth point that Jesus brings up in this passage. And this is the last one. He tells them not to get distracted. Who needs to hear that? <laughs> Don't get distracted. And again, he's, what I find fascinating, he's telling them this at the start of them being sent out. Usually you'd think that they would get distracted and he would tell them, but he already knows ahead of hand that they're going to dis get distracted. And so here's, here's the passage. It's, it's fascinating. It says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was what? He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. We, we call this the theology of the ascension of Jesus. Jesus returning to his place of throne as king, the one who oversees a sovereign Lord over all creation, advancing the mission of God from that place of king. And verse 10 says, And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, mostly messengers, angels. Angel means messenger, right? And said, Men of Galilee... 
Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you in heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so we see this ascension of Jesus. And we see him again returning to his place, the throne as king. And when you think about it, this, this had to be a very weird moment for the disciples. <laughs> when you think about it, this probably would have been a very weird moment. Because uh, again, put ourselves in this historical time. Had airplanes been invented yet? Has helicopters been invented yet? Has, has drones or anything been invented yet? People didn't, we spent a lot of time in the sky, so to say, today. People didn't spend much time, no time in the sky, unless they were falling from a building, right? And so there's, there's no comprehension of what's going on. It, it must have been an extremely strange moment for them. And so what are they stuck doing? They're just stuck staring up. And they're just gazing at the sky, and they're, they're trying to make sense of all this, and they probably have all these questions about how are we going to advance the mission without Jesus? Jesus is gone now. I mean, we're only 11 verses into Acts, and Jesus is gone. What, what are we going to do? What's going to happen next? They really don't understand what is going on. And I'm going to bring up John Stott here, because I think this was, was such a, a neat insight by him. And he says this, there was something fundamentally anomalous. I didn't know what that meant, so I just put strange up there so you guys understand. I was like, I have no idea what John Stotts, he's, he's British, he's English, so he's probably using all this fancy language, right? And he says, there, there's something strange about their gazing up into the sky when they had been commissioned to go where? To the ends of the earth. It was the earth, not the sky, which was to be their preoccupation. Their calling was to be what? Witnesses, not stargazers. The vision they were to cultivate was not upwards in nostalgia to the heavens which had received Jesus, but outwards in compassion to a lost world which needed him. It is the same for us. Curiosity about heaven and its occupants, speculation about prophecy and its fulfillment, an obsession with times and seasons, these are aberrations which distract us from our God-given mission. Christ will come personally, visibly, Gloriously, of that we have been assured. Other details can wait. Meanwhile, we have work to do in the power of the Spirit. Amen? And, and it's this concept that Stott is bringing out is, is the mission we have as the church it is not to be this people of speculation, to, to not be people who, who get up all, in all these fathoming and discussions about heaven and speculation about the end times and speculation about prophecy and understanding the times and seasons that we're in now, Jesus is reminding us that that's distraction. 
What matters here and now? The theme of Acts? Mission. <laughs> Good job. Mission. To be witnesses. I love how Stott says it. It was the earth, not the sky, which was to be their preoccupation. Their calling was to be witnesses, not stargazers. In other words, our our calling as the church isn't to be filling and wondering and pondering all these things of speculation. Our mission is clear by God. We focus on the mission and we advance it as witnesses. Because the implication is, is if we get distracted, and I, I think this is profound for me to, to fathom that this is one of the last things said at Jesus' ascension. Because if we get distracted, what happens? Well, are we going to wait on God? No, we're going to get impatient and we're going to move before God moves. If we get distracted... We're going to misunderstand the mission. We won't understand what it's all about. We'll be distracted by other things. We'll be caught up in speculation. We'll we'll get caught up in the time and age of our day, and that'll consume us and take us away from our calling. And when we get distracted, we we take power in our own hands, and and instead of um, receiving the power of God, we function out of our own power because it's things that we want to see happen and things that we want to accomplish. And so our distraction leads us then to receiving or not even receiving the power of God to function as witness. And most importantly, when we get distracted, we, we start to focus on things that are out of our control or even things that don't even matter instead of engaging the mission of God. And, and, and so I, I bring this up for us as a church as we, we begin this series, as we begin the discussion together, that the instructions from Jesus is very clear. How do we begin to draw some of these implications in our own lives? How do we begin to contemplate and question our own motivation, our own power, our own understanding, our own distractions? These are all things that have to get processed. And and again, we we have all these community groups in the church. If you're not part of a community group, we want you to be in part of one because this is the time and space in the week where you can process some of this. Because there's no point in me preaching this if we just say, oh, who cares about the mission that God has given us? Who cares about the instructions and guidelines for how it's to function? No, this is something we have to wrestle with. We have to wrestle with God. And so that's my prayer for us as we leave today. Let me pray to that extent. Gracious Father, we we first of all come to you in confession. Because we see so many similarities in our life as we see in the disciples in this text. Lord, we, like them, are not patient for you. We, like them, completely distort and misunderstand the mission. We, like them, function out of our power rather than the Spirit. And we, like them, get distracted by so many things that not only hinders our witness and hinders your mission, but can even draw us apart at times. 
Lord, what a tragedy that is. And so we pray that as we read this text, that this text in your words would truly read our lives and that we would face not just conviction, but inspiration of what you're able to accomplish even in spite of us. Lord, we read how the disciples messed it up so bad at the start, and yet here we sit today because of them, because of you. Again, on the other side of the world, 2,000 years removed, and yet your church still stands and your kingdom is still advancing. Lord, we celebrate that. We simply sit in awe of your glorious accomplishment among us. Another unworthy people and an incapable people. And yet you have done mighty things through your church. And so, Lord, we, we sit and we ask. Lord, we, we ponder what do you have for us in the future as we consider your mission and live in light of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to go into a time of communion. I'm going to call those who are serving to come up with me. And I thought with us diving into the story of the early church, uh, there's a document called the Didache. Does anyone know what the Didache is? No? A lot of blank places. That's okay. The Didache was the first discipleship manual in the early church. Okay? So it's one of the most important historical documents we have of what worship looked like in the church. And I thought for us this morning it would be a beautiful experience that as we talk about the early church, we could really connect with them in a way that in the same way they would have prayed and done communion, Eucharist, the same way that we can do with them. And so uh, I'm going to give us a time and space uh, just to hand out the elements. Um, So come up when you're ready. And then you can sit in confession and prayer, um, have a conversation about God and his mission. And then as we partake, we're going to read sections of the Didache together and really bringing that emotional connection as well as a communal connection to the early church. And so come up when you're ready. I'll call the ushers now. This is my body Broken for your healing This is my
As we partake together, let's get a glimpse of what the early church would have celebrated and affirmed as they partook of the Lord's Supper. It says, first concerning the cup, we thank you, God, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant, to you be the glory forever. Let us partake of the cup together. And it says this. Next, concerning the broken bread, we thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. Let's partake. Then I'm going to invite you to stand together. Yep. Yeah, next one, Renee, sorry. Let's read this together. We thank you, holy God, for your holy name, which you enshrined in our hearts, and for the knowledge and faith and immortality that you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. You, Master Almighty, have created all things for your name's sake. You gave food and drink to all people for enjoyment that they might give thanks to you. But to us, you freely give spiritual food and drink and life eternal through Jesus, your servant. Before all things, we thank you because you are mighty. To you be the glory forever. Remember, Lord, your church. Deliver it from all evil and make it perfect in your love. And gather it from the four winds sanctified for your kingdom, which you have prepared for it. For yours is the power and the glory forever. Let grace come and let this world pass away. Hosanna to the Son of David. If anyone is holy, let him come. If anyone is not holy, let him repent. Maranatha, amen. Maranatha means come, Lord Jesus, come. And as we partake of communion, we not only remember what Christ has done on the cross, but we look forward while he will return. He ascended into heaven, but he will come as king and judge to proclaim the glorious gospel. And so we look forward with anticipation to that day. Amen. Amen.